On this episode of Movies from My Life, we take a look at one of the masters of the horror genre, Wes Craven. Okay, so that's Scott. Hello. That's Trevor, formerly of Terror in Toronto, well, which I'm going to pick of... your brain on in a minute, sir. Hello, hello. <laughs> sort of still, but it's different now. And I'm Brandon, and this is our West Craven panel. <laughs> yeah. Now, before we get into it, Trevor, what's the deal, man? Since you were on, we've been sending people to your website like crazy, and then we get the tweet, and we start collectively crying here at Mermel that we're not going to be able to source Terror in Toronto's great archive of of stuff going on in the city. So what's what's the scoop with you, Chief? Well, if you go to TerranToronto.com, it will now uh, redirect to the Facebook page. So I still am pretty active on that and, and the Twitters mm-hmm. as well. I just uh, I started a new job and didn't have uh, as much time to give it the love and attention that it deserves. So I realized, okay, uh, sort of just close down the website and just sort of do it sort of when I have time. Um, mm-hmm. So I was still promoting the community and still still uh, out there uh, in the online sphere, but uh, having the full website, it's just uh, – also, too, I, I don't have as much vacation as I used to uh, have. I, I went from five <laughs> weeks down to two weeks That's starting a new job. New so I don't have time to go to all the – you know, take time off for festivals anymore and, and do the coverage. So now it's just sort of – I just sort of share uh, when I'm checking out stuff uh, – at home or right on yeah. or even we were talking about your tweet when you were at uh drunken cinema this week uh <laughs> yeah that's always a good time uh, that's all. <laughs> drunken cinema to is a, if for those who don't know is an event that uh, essentially they make a drinking game by playing bad movies so it's once a month at the steady bar and cafe yeah and they've recently just expanded out into uh, montreal as well so sweet uh, i didn't know as that. of a month or two ago uh so they yeah so you know St. Patrick's Day, they played Leprechaun uh, <laughs> uh, the the other night because of the anniversary of Prince's death. Uh, they played uh, Graffiti Bridge, which is uh, unofficially a sequel to to Purple Rain. Um, so, and uh, you just get drunk with a bunch of movie fans. Uh, it's uh, it's a hoot. So yeah, yeah. I just like I'm out in an event. I'll I'll tweet. All right. Cool. So. Generally, with this sort of show, uh, we like to start things off with a first and favorite, and I haven't done that in a while, so this is interesting. Um, Scott, would you mind kicking us off? Sure. First Wes Craven favorite Wes Craven So, flick. it's probably a bit cliche, but I have to go with it. My absolute favorite Wes Craven movie and top one of my favorite movies of all time is the classic A Nightmare on Elm Street. Right on. Uh, I was too young to see it in theaters like when it came out, but by the time part three had come out, that was when Freddy Mania took over everything. So I was like six or seven years old, and so I was like, okay, what is this all about? It looks awesome. I was remember seeing the trailers on TV and everything and snuck a VHS copy of Nightmare on Elm Street over to a friend's place and nice. watched it when we were like eight. And... Tried to act all tough and like, oh, this wasn't scary, and then had to sleep with the lights on for three years. <laughs> but honestly, like, it formed my childhood and everything. So, nice. favorite movie of all time. Especially and also, the him. winner of our sorry. Oh, that's good. The winner of our uh, our horror icons tournament when you were here last time, Trevor. And your first, also your first. Yeah, yeah, first that was my favorite? first. Well, yeah, because. I had never, being so young when um, that all came out, that was the first one, and right I on. didn't really know 
him as Wes Craven then. I just knew it as uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. And then more, you know, more I learned about it, grow older, mm -hmm. saw the cultural impact of it all. That's when I was like, okay, if this is the guy that did Nightmare on Elm Street, I have to go see everything that everything he does now. Seen, so. yeah. Everything's done. Trevor? Uh, it's obvious it's the same. Uh, okay. I, when, I, when I saw it, it was... I'm not sure if two had come out. It might have come out theatrically, but it was early on. Okay, uh, I was a kid, and uh, it uh, a friend of ours had sort of a illicit uh, descrambler box for like the movie <laughs> network. So we were we were down in their basement, and we weren't allowed to watch it. One of the older kids were watching it, but we were like sneaking into the room and like peeking over the back of the couch and and watching it and just freaking out. I remember seeing Johnny Depp's de death. Mm -hmm. And just like freaking out, and uh, and you know, um, just like like looking under my bed, and and just just being scared for years, and yeah. uh, it really sort of like not only got me into Wes Craven, but it really sunk its teeth in me, to me into getting into horror. Period. You know, yeah. I'd seen a couple horror scary films, but like the thrill I got out of being so frightened, I'm like, yeah. this is something I really like. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I'm a little bit behind you guys. I uh, My first one was Scream, which I saw at age 10. And uh, I remember my cousin, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, had, had seen it and, and I'd been hearing about it in the halls at school and whatnot and, and saw it when it came out on, on VHS, in, I guess 1996, if I'm not mistaken. You know, for example, shows like Animaniacs, mm. reference Freddy Krueger, I believe, in an episode, if I'm not mistaken, and yeah. things like that. I... I I understood the cultural significance of the character, but I'd never uh, gotten into the Nightmare series, you know, at age 10 yet, because uh, I was too busy watching RoboCop on repeat. You know? <laughs> well, it's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> pretty good, too. Yeah. But, um, as I've said many a times on this show, but, yeah, the, I, I think that, that moment when, when Wes is dressed up as, as Freddy the janitor, yeah. and someone explained to me the, the humor in that scene, and um, oh, it's Freddy Krueger. He, he he created that character, et cetera, et cetera. That, mm. that was like a click moment that that started me going back through his catalog at a fairly young age, and and, and I remember seeing New Nightmare and loving the shit out of it. Mm. Also, uh, maybe a not so legal uh, movie network uh, stream oh, <laughs> or okay. like a connection at the time, but yeah, whatever. So yeah, that, I actually snuck into that and saw it theatrically. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, and my favorite is actually New Nightmare. Oh, so, I, I like. There's something about it. As much as I love A Nightmare on Elm Street, it's a great flick. Uh, I love everything about it. And obviously, you couldn't have New Nightmare without it. Mm. But there, I always think of that scene with Heather Langenkamp and and Wes in the house where she's you know. I even love when she gets offered the coffee. He just kind of points at the cup. He's like, "Coffee." Yeah, it's it's so dry. I remember seeing that for the first time, and and as she's leaving the house and just pans over to the the monitor, and you see all of the lines that they've been saying yeah. on the screen oh. and stuff. That scared the shit out of yeah. me at age like fifteen. Yeah, um, I really still cool. think that really cool is play. sort of interrupt, but I think that is like one of the best movies ever made, and I think it. It gets a bit of like a bit of slight because it's a genre film, and yep. I don't think a lot of especially like critics or awards, for lack of a better term, give a lot of genre mm. credit. But if you see how it's made and the story behind it and everything, it's just brilliant. Yeah, well, and it, apparently it was critically acclaimed when it came out, but it was also the least 
grossing yeah, of all the nightmare exactly. movies. But I think it's because it was almost too smart for people. And it was far off from when yeah. they had kind of said Freddy, well, Freddy's dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting flick, and, and, and I have a special place in yeah, my heart for it. When do you get a part seven of a series that's that good? I know. Right? It's impossible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's... Uh, yeah, yeah, that that film. It uh, I was just rewatching it in preparation for this, and uh, I always liked it. But mm. it is so good mm. uh, and scary. Uh, A hospital room scene—that's <gasps> insane. It's you know that that might be better yeah. than than the original revolving of room the, that the yeah Tina through Tina the yeah. Bedroom. I remember. Um, oh, that's fucking amazing, <laughs> and I love that they could incorporate the. Uh, the real life earthquake that happened in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and, and like, I mean, it's terrible that it happened, but Wes Craven was like, it was great that it happened for the production yeah. because they could use all the set pieces of everything being destroyed because it kind of tied into the story of of him breaking out and coming into our world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I but, like that it's not Freddy. Yeah, it's, but it's also because Freddy himself is terrifying. Obviously, I mean, I, you course. know, we got kind of jokey and less scary as the films went on, but like Nightmare One, Freddy is like still one of the scariest movie monsters out there. And I thought that new Nightmare Freddy was really good at kind of creating a whole new kind of movie monster based on the same one, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So like in part four or five, he was more just like a comedic killer guy that you could stare at and not look away. But the new Nightmare Freddy with like all the exposed bone type things and the uh, different colored eyes, it was like, okay, good. You're recreating a scary monster and kind of taking away all that comedic elements and bringing it back to what was mm-hmm. part one was about the comedy in that piece is in the story which exactly. is where it belongs yeah absolutely incredible flick um i'm glad you guys somewhat concur with me <laughs> before we go to break because we are going to go to break fairly quickly this time around before we get into what we're doing today i should explain <laughs> um we've each come up with a list of a I guess kind of a uh, marathon, a six-film marathon, um, approximately 12 hours, let's say, uh, marathon for a newcomer to Wes Craven's catalog. Now, unfortunately, you know, he passed away at age 76 a few years ago of brain cancer, and uh, we, we've sorely missed him in the horror genre since. I think that goes without saying. Um, we're not... I, when we talked about this panel initially, we were trying to figure out how we would do it because there's been a lot of great content that's come out on him, on his life, on his legacy and this sort of thing. And, and I didn't think that we could get nearly as, as you know, of a high bar out of that kind of uh, content. So what we decided to do was just be geeks about Craven's catalog and talk about his movies. Mm-hmm. Um which are so varied. Exactly. So varied. It's 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 an up and down spectrum. Like, like, it's roll of the dice. Like he only did one officially one one film uh that wasn't horror, but for you know well, kind of two we did the vignette and okay. uh, Paris. The Chitem. vignette still also had a bit of a genre element, whether it being in like in the cemetery and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So even even if it's not flat out horror, it's still kind of uh darker take for lack of a better term but within that That's genre fair. he's done so much different things that that it, it, he's not a one-trick pony no you know, you know it's, it's uh 
it's pretty remarkable what what he did you know and it's pretty m- remarkable some of the films that he did got greenlit but um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah he uh, definitely is very important uh to to me personally and mm. uh and uh if you aren't well versed in his catalog this is the show for you right on yeah. yeah, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to pitch each our individual um, dream marathon when we're showing Wes Craven's catalog, the finest of it, to a newcomer to his catalog. And then we're going to try and decide uh, at the end of the show on a master list, if you will, one that one that's a consensus of all three of our lists. And um, so this is going to be like a voting thing. Like, well, we'll, we'll argue it out. OK, yeah, we'll argue we're, it. We're going to see if we can get along. Uh, <laughs> we'll, de- we'll have a, a friendly debate. Yeah. And uh, in the spirit of our Watch More episodes, we always have somewhat of a of a a debate that never comes to a conclusion. People always have to just be like, I guess everyone won. Uh, this time around, we're going to actually see kind of who won, who gets the most films out of their list onto the onto the final the list. Final um, you already kind of started touching on it, though, Trevor, and, and I would like to just, as much as I know we can't do as nearly a fine a job as, as, as a lot of stuff that I've seen on on Craven after his passing, I would like to talk a little bit about his legacy before we go to break, if that's mm-hmm. all right. Um, we talk, we're talking about a, a man who basically saw nothing but Disney films growing up, uh, who's now considered to be, and long has been considered to be, a, a master of genre film, um, and a, you know a, a grandfather of, of horror cinema to our generation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and and that's pretty amazing there's there's few voices out there uh that have been so transcendental culturally over the past say 30 years my lifespan um because i'm getting old and i feel it feel it in my bones <laughs> well yeah you know when i think of a john carpenter a, a toby hooper i think of a wes craven this sort of thing even you know we we did an episode on stephen king for example these perennial voices in horror that have kind of uh brought us into into the genre and and i think it's really important to look at at his body of work um obviously his relationship with sean cunningham is a is a jump off point to to where he is and who's also had you know sean cunningham also had a, a really amazing career um but yeah to to think a guy who really had no practical knowledge in film. Very smart man. Yeah. Uh, and a very learned man. Uh, could could forge out a legacy as he has. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And to stay so culturally relevant for so long. Absolutely. Even like, because even like direct-to-video releases or even theatrical releases that he technically didn't have anything to do with in the creative process in terms of writing or directing, Mm -hmm. it was always advertised as Wes Craven Presents or from producer Wes Craven as the kind of hook to get people attached because as a... As a movie fan, or especially as a horror fan, if you heard Wes Craven was involved, you're like, okay, this... Hopefully, is going to be good. <laughs> you know what I was just so. thinking of <laughs> as you said that i I was on the I was on IMDb today looking at, at Shocker for some reason. Oh no! <laughs> and I clicked the fucking trailer. Oh no! <laughs> that's on the IMDb page, and yeah. and like the sales pitch, like the closing line of that trailer is something to the effect of like, uh, 
I can't remember if it's uh if it's Wes Craven's scariest creation to date or like best creation to date yeah. or something like that. I just I broke out laughing. Because yeah. it obviously it, wasn't. Yeah, it is not anywhere. And we'll get into that flick a little bit. But yeah, I, I don't know, Trevor, what comes to mind for you when you think about this gentleman's legacy and, and his importance in, in cinema? Well, we were talking about uh, his his brand. You know, the Wes Craven brand sort of brought. I mean, horror has always been on the underground, uh, but you put Wes Craven's name on it, and and because he had such popularity with with a lot of his films, especially with Nightmare, that you know his films got noticed, and he and because of that, uh, he exposed more people to the horror genre in general. Because you know, a Wes Craven film comes out, it's not like a yeah. You know, uh, aside from his early career, um, it's it's not a dirty little secret. You know, it's sort of the masses can go and like, okay, we can go, we can get scared, and uh, that's something that very few horror directors have done. Yeah. That's yeah. true. No, it's very true. I I often think when I again when I think of cats like like Wes Craven, like John Carpenter, and stuff like that, I think to myself, um, I I'm willing to take every one of the misses. Yeah. Every one of those films that didn't exactly pan out, say, for example, a shocker where, you know, there's a great story of him uh, with uh, with his son going to look for the 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 film reels after the the uh, special effects guy has a nervous breakdown or something <laughs> like that. You guys should look into this. If yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, the for every miss, I I would take a hundred shit films if yeah. it means I get to watch. For example, uh, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. and and uh, Dream Warriors, which he has a writing credit on, and, and New Nightmare, the series. The hits are so good yeah. that it's worth And even the Scream. so-called non-hits, the crappier films mm. like Shocker. Um, or we were talking about Chiller off there, there. There's always something to it where, yeah. you know, it might have not been a good film, but mm. I'm glad I saw it. I enjoy it. And, yeah. To a certain degree, there there's something to be, yeah. be something there. If it doesn't hit all the way, who cares? Yeah. There's so many crappy horror movies out mm-hmm. there. Uh, even his bad ones are a lot better than than most of the junk that that, that got made during yeah. that time. Absolutely, yeah. and there's something to be said about the fact that most Wes Craven flicks I come out of asking questions. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of he he's he's very connected to the um, the. I don't know. He's he's got an underlying existential analysis kind of in every yeah. film, and it's not like the overt Michael Bay like pay the troops more, yeah. <laughs> you know, this kind of thing or or whatever in his uh, you know well, particular message. Wrong, but he was a professor before yes. coming director, right? So he's obviously an, a brilliant man to begin with. Yes, and that's why I kind of personally always liked his brand of horror, or his films, because they were always smarter. Mm-hmm. Like you always had to, like you said, you almost had to like think during it it wasn't and like after you can in take the questions 80s, away it was kind of like a big fight between freddie versus jason who did Absolutely. you like more and jason was just like the killer that went around killing whereas freddie was the one that was very creative and it wasn't it wasn't just in like a single setting it could be mm-hmm. anywhere because it took place in dreams and all that kind of stuff so i always liked that he tried to always bring a sense of smartness to mm-hmm. to it so you're right you're thinking during it but then it stays with you afterwards because you're like okay how did that make sense? And then try to put everything together. And I loved him. <laughs> yeah. Sorely miss him. Sorely miss him. And like out of his last, uh, 
you know, let's say five films, really my sold take is kind of the only real letdown, mm-hmm. let's say. The back end of his catalog, talk about how many, say, rock and roll artists, how many yeah. directors, how many uh, novelists as as they're that get that are afforded the luxury of growing old yeah which many are not yeah um for various reasons whether it be personal vices or these sorts of things but uh out of those who who are afforded that luxury much of their career the back end of it tends to taper off yeah in terms of quality or becomes homogenized this sort of stuff and i i felt as though he was very much still pressing yeah forward he was trying to do new things if you look at even for example scream you look at how much steady cam work he's doing in that yeah. stuff and a lot of the things he was you know that ended up being kind of iconic within the franchise was shit that he was doing to get around censors yeah you know? exactly and to please so, a studio exactly so it's it, i would sort of disagree though really? i think i think he did taper off towards the end of his really? career most of the films you know post scream 2 um Hmm. leave a lot to be desired i i I don't care for them okay not a big music of the heart fan (laughs) i I just saw it for the first time and is all right i guess is generic as generic can be but like he he hadn't done anything like that so he gets a pass you know it made me smile sort of yeah i thought that the uh there was a lacking especially for for wes craven there's there was a lacking of of strife in the film yeah. like there wasn't much actual struggle to this struggle to keep a music yeah. program it's just like all right here's, here's some oh, no. shitty kids playing fucking like, wicked music you know oh, don't take this away from them oh oh it's not gonna happen it's all falling apart oh wait a minute no we're good we're good and it's better yeah. <laughs> the end <laughs> let's give an academy award to meryl streep now yeah, uh, that's another thing. And, you know, I know this is blasphemous on any sort of film anything show, but I've been watching a lot of the the interviews with her post this uh, film and and also, you know, in, in specials about Wes Craven and whatnot leading up to this episode. Because we originally talked about doing this episode about six weeks ago, if I remember correctly. And there's this weird arrogance about the whole project to me it just you know she'll be like oh you know if you if you there's a quote that's if you practice you get better like at music and stuff like that like at other arts but acting acting you you know you just do you just do it you can't prep for it you're just either great or you're not and i'm great like that was the kind of feel to the interview i'm like wait a second i'm a fucking musician man like you know yeah i practice but you know that's not all of it no you want to tell bob dylan that you know (laughs) that's why he people love him no no there's there's more to all art than that meryl streep but whatever she's she's a she's a a treasure she's a jewel of the of the industry so i can't i I can't talk too much shit about her but and i do love her so whatever yeah but like cursed come on come on that movie's crap it's so it's so generic it it seems like it was made by somebody who is like a new director who hasn't done any horror whatsoever and they're like make a teen horror film it they're, about werewolves instead of about, a serial killer. This yeah, time. yeah, it's just. But there's you, nothing to it. 
It doesn't feel in mind what was coming out at the fucking time though, man. Like But I don't care what was coming out at the time. I care about so? the film but that I'm watching. You got, yeah, that's true, but sometimes you got to contextualize that shit. And and you know, if someone tells you you got to make a movie with Christina Ricci and, and Jesse Eisenberg or whatever and like just do your best. I think he did a pretty good job considering what he had. Like I like both those actors, don't get me wrong, but you know, I there's something there's something charming about it. I don't know. In in we were at the tail end of 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 kind of teen horror at that time. It was tapering off again, and there's something there's something kind of fun about it. It's fucking better. I'd rather watch that than Twilight. You know, like there that one know. that movie though was so mired historically now. Like you can it's just so in so much post production and pre production oh, stuff yeah. that I bet that. Even I think there's two versions out there, like more of his director's cut versus mm-hmm. the theatrical release. And I bet of those two, he had his hand like held the whole time in a way, oh, yeah. uh, for lack of a better term. So I don't think that that product is anything that he wanted to put out. Like no. it was so just chopped up anyway. The CG is so painful Terrible. to watch that dog running around and chasing a <laughs> werewolf dog. Oh yeah, my. but it was yeah. fucking 2005, dude. All CG sucked in 2005. Go so, back and try and watch yeah. The Matrix. That's 1999. Yeah. As great as that flick is, you're just like, mm. I hear what you're saying, Scott. Like, Maybe uh, his hands were tied. And there's yeah, a lot yeah. of directors uh, that happen. That's the sense that. I get. And like, at the end of the day, he's a director. He needs yeah. to work or wants to work. Yeah. And mm-hmm. dude you, needs to work. you sign up for something and then then Because Kevin Williamson wrote that one too yeah right? so i think the studios even just greenlit it just because let's get kevin let's get west together and let's and put out this product that'll make us as much money from the as creators scream. Of scream yeah but they were more so in the whole like bankrollers and the producers and the studios involved i get i just get the sense that they were more concerned just about making money yeah that they didn't care what the product was they just pieced it together to put something out and i don't know it would be interesting not that we can find out from him directly obviously but it'd be mm. interesting to see how much creative control he actually had during that whole pre-post and during production mm-hmm. because i really get the sense that he didn't have a lot and i think that made a big impact on the final product absolutely because like, i found it enjoyable but yeah. it certainly wasn't good. No, I concur. You know, I'll rescind my statement if uh, you know. I no. don't want to get into fisticuffs before this even starts. So I'll rescind my statement no. about the last five. <laughs> and it's, and it's catalog- I'm saying it's healthy. It's a healthy end yeah. to his catalog. It's all. But if what you mean is like late in his career, he came out with Scream, which is so iconic. Like, 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 like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. fair, but I, you know, I came I really like Red Eye. Oh, that's, I think yeah, that's same. I think that's a really strong thriller. You know, I um, agree. But in any case, <laughs> shall we take a break, gentlemen? Sure. Come back and get into it. And who wants to kick us off when we come back? Trevor, you want to kick us off? I, I might go quicker. So <laughs> okay, okay. Sure. I'll discuss right, them and then you go and say you're all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. So <laughs> then, when we come back, we'll get into Scott's list uh, and go from there and, and see what the fuck happens. Vista cuffs. <laughs> However you're taking part in this episode, please remember to reach out to us on social media, at Marmal Podcast on Twitter, that's M-R-M-L Podcast, and visit us at facebook.com slash life. Tell us what you think there. Also, if you have any ideas for the show, remember to mention them. You can also email us at show at moviesfrommylife.com, and obviously visit the website, moviesfrommylife.com. 
All right, so we're back. And Scott, yellow, you're up. I am. So I'll briefly go through my six. I'm going to be really interested to see if we have a lot of overlapping ones. Because I think a lot of those ones are so culturally relevant and historically relevant that I wouldn't be surprised if <laughs> those lists look the same. So my number one first Wes Craven film you should watch is The Last House on the Left. Now, uh, more recently, you may have heard of the remake. Maybe you've seen the remake. Eh, I won't talk about that right now, though. Um, I didn't hate it. No, I didn't hate it either. But um, the first, obviously, original, it was his first directorial debut. And I think if you're going to like kind of watch any director's work or actor's work or whatever, you should always watch their first one. Start from the beginning. And uh, I mean, it's certainly dated in terms of looks. Like you have to get past the soundtrack, which is a little bit cheesy music. <laughs> and the uh, the effects aren't that great. But um, it's such just a debased human story that you're almost – what makes it horrific is what these people are doing to each other and, and how they're doing it. And, and – uh, and that it just kind of as cheesy as it may look in this day and age, you can't deny how horrible of a situation these people are in, which makes it such a good horror movie. And I think it has like one of the most um, iconic recreated taglines when the when it first came out on the poster. It says to stop yourself from fainting, keep repeating yourself. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. It's only a movie, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of other uh, movies over time have tried to recreate. Um, so I definitely think you should start with that one. I don't know if you want to go into plot points as to what it's about. I'm sure you could look online, but uh, yeah. um, it, it very briefly, it's about these two teenage girls who kind of get kidnapped by an uh, escaped convict and his clan. And uh, they get killed. Spoiler alert. And then uh, the that clan goes to ends up going to the parents' house of one of the girls that was killed, and then the parents exact revenge on them. So that's it in a nutshell. But uh, spoiler alert yeah. on nineteen seventy two. But uh, uh, so it's just it, like even the remake it kind of captured a lot of those kind of really horrific debased elements of humanity mm-hmm. uh, but that's why i think you should start with that one he seems like just a really messed up dude but then to hear him speak in interviews Wes Craven is so just so soft-spoken and smart methodical and methodical but like Absolutely. some of the characters he creates and stories he creates you're just like what is wrong with you but uh it, that's why i think you should definitely start with that one it's just a truly horrific film and not in a te- in a sense of how it's made creatively but just the story and 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 uh it's just it their indifference to, yeah. to, to human life they just yeah. don't care and the fact that there might be people out there is, is like, like that, that. Mm-hmm. who just do not give a shit and they're laughing as there's like one of the girls is ripping insides out of another girl and she's laughing as she does it mm-hmm. and, and it really just makes they make each other do these most debased things to each other and well even even they make one girl pee herself yeah or else if she doesn't pee herself her friend gets stabbed yeah so and they're laughing as she does it and they're pointing and laughing and you're just like what (laughs) oh but it's awesome it's awesome (laughs) um so definitely check that start with that one okay uh and then i'm gonna try to go 
kind of chronologically in time. Okay. So uh, once you enjoy watching Last House on the Left, I would suggest jumping right to the classic A Nightmare on Elm Street if you haven't seen it already. And if you haven't, shame. <laughs> um, obviously, well, this is for a first-time viewer. That's true. You're absolutely and... right. So I take that back. I shouldn't shame you for not seeing it. But uh, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street is brilliant again and even this day and age it still stands up there are some Absolutely. there's some quite obvious special effects um um steps for lack of a better term um but are they really missteps or are they actually just really creative ways to get what they needed yeah, at the time at the time exactly like the the only one i can really that's really glaring is when nancy's having the dream sequence where she can't get up the stairs because the stairs are like melting and yeah. she can't which is terrifying that that out of all the movie, yeah. out of all the scenes in that movie terrified me the most because i've had dreams like that and i think that's why that movie is so effective because it touches base on such common nightmare elements mm-hmm. that everybody can relate to but that was probably like, the only cheesiest part and maybe the mom being pulled out yeah the door that's, at the end that looked a little we've bit talked fake. about that before but, <laughs> <laughs> but um i mean you I was lucky enough to um, – Tiff Bell Lightbox did like a – I guess it was – I can't remember when it was, but it was around Halloween time. So they were showing all these old classic horror yeah, movies. Yeah, I went and, to see Halloween there. Yeah, and right um, I made a point to go see Nightmare on Elm Street because I had never seen it on the big screen. And I remember growing up saying like this would have been fantastic to see in a theatrical setting and, and enjoying that whole aspect of it. So I went and saw it on the big screen, dark cinema, and it still stands up. It's Absolutely. still scary. It's still unnerving. Well, I think one of the thing that, uh, things that adds to the unnerving is the score. It's the first yeah. one of his films that Absolutely. really take advantage. And uh, without that score, it, it might not be as scary. It really, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think uh, mm. it is a very important part of the film. Yeah, absolutely. I would concur. To it's go- like one, of, one of the most iconic soundtracks outside of Halloween. Yeah. Or The Exorcist, really, for, for music, yeah. per se. And it's interesting because I've heard uh, – uh, critics talk about how it's almost nothing, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of its fucking noises. But yeah. that that's those synth elements are very resonant, and they stick yeah. with you. They, they, they do, they, and it's like the off key and the grating sounds of it, and everything that just. <laughs> I love it. I can't like. Yeah, it's a fantastic movie. I'm sure we'll talk about it more throughout, sure. so I won't sure. cover it too much base about it. But it's obviously one of the best movies ever made. Um, I'm gonna skip some time mm-hmm. and to say follow up after Nightmare on Elm Street, you should immediately watch Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Nice. Um, because there are so many elements in New Nightmare that touch directly based on the original one. So if if the original one isn't fresh in your mind, you could miss some elements of New Nightmare. But as we kind of were talking about earlier, um, it's a horror movie. There are certainly scary elements to it, and you do get unnerved and scared and everything. But at the end of the day, it's just a brilliant script and it's a brilliant piece of work and how he and it's just i think um it was meta before meta was cool like yeah. it was meta before people maybe even understood movies could be meta mm-hmm. uh if i could be that bold but um heather langenkamp playing herself as an actress and like going to sarah reicher at new line cinema and seeing all the behind the scenes stuff about um how movies are made mm-hmm but then bringing such a horrific element to it and like correct me if i'm wrong but some like 
it's an old Greek mythology that if you stop talking about something, it gives them power to break out. I th- I think. I could be yeah, wrong, but maybe they touch on that in the movie in a they way. Do, but, yeah. um, but that's what it's about, where in the sense that since they're not making Freddy movies anymore, the actual essence of Freddy is breaking out into the real world, which as as kind of, you know, you may have to suspend your disbelief a little bit, but it's a brilliant idea told amazingly and so believably, too. Um like I, I think film school, film school should teach it. Mm-hmm. Uh, directors, writers should study it and analyze it. Like, and you could argue missteps here and there, and points that you might think are stupid or wrong. But as an idea, and as and how it's been kind of produced and created is amazing. I don't watch that movie as like a horror movie. I watch it as an amazing piece of film work. I concur. If that makes sense. Can I just make a, little, a quick point on this? Uh, we did uh, a panel uh, last week on the show, which was our 90s action battle royale. Mm-hmm. And we talked about how uh, Shane West's script for Last Action Hero, mm. which is also a, a, a meta look at the action genre, way before you saw, saw it with True Lies, also with Arnold, mm-hmm. um, was critically panned and, and audiences didn't, exactly understand what was going on and then it's subsequently either, a lot of people they'll talk about hating that movie and then they'll finally go back and watch it mm-hmm. and and love it and uh it's so interesting when you look back because new nightmare is 95 yes same kind of thing i feel as though audiences in the 90s in general 94 were not, 94, 94 my apologies were not ready yeah for for that sort of um introspective look yeah at 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 the industry, yeah, you know, they they just wanted moving pictures and yeah. glitz and glamour and explosions and scares and all these things. Uh, it's interesting, yeah. From a business sense, New Nightmare was the most critically acclaimed of any Freddy movie, but also made the least money. So I don't know if that if they're you know mutually exclusive in the sense of yeah. you know maybe it was kind of too smart for audiences, which we said earlier. But it's also like you said, audiences weren't kind of ready for something like that at the mm-hmm. time, so it didn't really. You know, ironically, I love both of those movies when they came out. Right? <laughs> Stupid. Well, also too, a lot of people might have seen uh, Freddy's Dead and they're like, yeah. "I'm done with this." Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly. true. That's true. Exactly. It's hard to get an audience I back he was after dead. that. <laughs> what? Um, so again, I'm sure we'll talk more about La Prochaine Film, Monsieur. And um, so that was my first. Your number three. I think. Three. So I might. Make some enemies with this one, but okay. oh no! <laughs> My number four film, again, not in chronological or chronological order, is Red Eye. Okay, uh, is it a horror movie? No. Is it a fantastic suspense film? Yes. And I think I'm a bit biased toward it mm. because when that movie came out, I was an actor in Toronto, so I would analyze movies and everything, and you know, just kind of be, you know. In, in them, for lack of a better term. And what I loved about Red Eye was that it was a two-hander 90% of the time. And just seeing the performances of Rachel McAdams and Killian Murphy and... Even Brian Cox. Even, well, Brian Cox is brilliant in pretty much anything he does. But Except how... the final sequence in that, which we're going to forgive him for. It's kind of like what you were saying before. I'll take the final sequence yeah, for, the for the rest, rest of the, the movie. Flick. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. how... Obviously, being in a plane, you're in such an isolated area, and then Rachel McAdams' character being harassed by this guy, but she can't really do anything about it, or else 
her father gets killed and you can kind of argue all the plot points about the missile and all that kind of stuff. But um, as, as a character driven... I love the missile. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> as a character driven two-hander kind of performance piece, for lack of a better term, yeah. it's amazing. And how he directed the suspense and ratcheted up the tension and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. It's just... Uh, it's one of my top ten favorite movies of all time, um, and I I don't know if wow that's a bold yeah, statement. Yeah, it's a bold statement. Yeah, I know, but I think I'm it's bold because I think I'm biased because a, a little worship Rachel McAdams and b yeah. it's Toronto a Wes Craven film. Like if, if Wes Craven <laughs> didn't direct it, I don't know if I would have liked it as much, or I don't know if it could have been handled in a in different hands or it could have been a completely different movie, obviously if directed by somebody else. So I think having those two connections to it makes me like it so much. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, like I said, at the time it came out, it has a piece in my, a time in my history where it was just such an amazing performance piece. Like watch their two performances, watch how Rachel McAdams kind of, you know, just disintegrates and mm-hmm. and yet fights back at the end. And, and I like how they set that up because they, mm-hmm. they set it up first with her, if memory serves, because um, I didn't get a chance to rewatch this flick. Uh, if I remember correctly, they set it up with her in the airport first, kind of uh, calming down this yeah. uh, irrational, uh, you know, guy who's waiting for a mm-hmm. flight and is upset that someone else is being called to the front of the line. Yeah. And uh, and that's also where you meet Killian Murphy for the mm-hmm. first time. Uh, and then immediately when they start flirting, she switches t- her drink. Like yeah. he, he guesses, um, what is it? He guesses a uh, sea breeze. Sea yes. breeze. And sea she's breeze. like Bay Breeze. Yeah. <laughs> but good trick. And then of course that comes back later in the yeah. film where he's like, I never saw you drink a fucking Bay Breeze yeah. for like you know. <laughs> and and I like that because it it's these two you don't know because of those two things you don't know if she's going to just kind of give in mm-hmm. or if she's going to fight back yeah because you you see that little bit of a, a fight in her yeah uh even in these kind of flirtatious moments but yeah. conversely you you also see that she's very forgiving of people and understanding yeah. and these sorts of things and going, going back to the missile uh, i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> um i don't understand I'm not knocking it, but uh, I don't understand why they needed to have the missile in a container that was in the water. Why didn't they just have it on the boat? <laughs> Great yeah, question. <laughs> I don't know much about missiles. Or like, how they, like, they, do they have people... there first and brought it up, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. It's like well, they didn't have people searching the boat when they left. Yeah. Like, like, I honestly, I honestly kind of think that they were concerned – if it was if it was me planning an assassination, <laughs> yeah. then I, I you know I would be concerned about um, the Coast Guard um, yeah. circling because of the fact that there is this senator in the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so m- maybe that's overthinking because they don't explain it. Maybe I'm yeah. rationalizing something that shouldn't be rationalized. But also, I thought it was going to be a sniper rifle, like right yeah. up until I saw it. And then when it was a missile, I just the first time I saw it, I just started laughing yeah. hysterically. Like this is fucking brilliant. Yeah. And it's it's a weird movie because in the sense it's so intimate, but then there's also at the especially at the end, yeah. that's where it just becomes a huge kind of almost slasher action pick. But mm-hmm. yet for the first eighty well, it's actually only eighty five minutes, I think, to begin mm-hmm. with, but for the first half an hour, forty five minutes, it's just so intimate and so 
you know, in your face for lack of a better term where, because it's just the two of them, Yeah, obviously. And the other passengers on the plane, but they're, they don't really matter. Yeah. So you're just seeing her struggle and ha- it, it's just, Oh, the better part of the film is just like shot, reverse, yeah. shot, shot, reverse, shot. Yeah. And but they in- even keep that when they start doing the, in the house mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's, yeah. You know, it's a well-made flick. Yeah. All, all things considered. And I'm know? a bit biased to it. So that's why it made my six, but <laughs> <laughs> what do you have up next? So now, now I'm going to kind of lump these two kind of together. Um, kind of like nightmare and new nightmare. Okay. Again, probably on a lot of other people's lists, but I'm going to do Scream and Scream 4. Oh. So. That's very interesting. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Scream, obviously, is a classic. I don't know what I could say about Scream that hasn't been said many, many times before. I think there's, like, at least eight how it was made Scream. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, obviously, please, if you've never seen Scream, go out and watch it. You'll thank us later. It's brilliant. It came out at a time... That was it was so new and original, and it became a pop culture phenomenon, and it uh, breathed new life into oh, yeah. the genre, it which was the important whole genre for, back, and yeah. it, it was amazing. But and so I won't go too into that much, other than to say, watch it. You know why? It's brilliant. It's fantastic. But I loved Scream Four because I felt it was kind of. Scream 2 was fantastic as well. It was probably mm. one of those rare state cases where the sequel was just as good as the first one. It was obviously on a, bit, a much larger scale, but I think... Um, Especially considering all the hardships with that film, like yeah, internet and the, leaks. And, yeah, they had like, to... imagine re- that? Like, the original killers had to be completely rewritten and everything. So, they had uh, changed words in every script yeah. so that they knew who's leaked, if it leaked, and they had, like, uh, like um, colored... Uh, like centers to the pages so they couldn't be photocopied and stuff. Yeah, just like, you know. And nobody knew who the killer yeah. was well, the, until they were filming those scenes, obviously. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, and why? Uh, one of my favorite things, I'll say this to anybody who I speak to about Scream, which is a surprising amount of people, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, Scream 4 has one of, I think, one of the most brilliant, socially relevant lines where the killer, and if you haven't seen it, I won't tell you who it is, is explaining kind of the motive, for lack of a better term. And she says, I don't want friends. I want fans. Mm -hmm. And obviously, um, nowadays with YouTube and social media, which technically wasn't as huge as it is now Mm -hmm. back then when it came out in 2011, but obviously it was on the cusp of becoming massive. Um, that I think that's just such a telling statement mm-hmm. of, of the character of the real person. You think that might have just been like an outtake that they're like, "Oh, that works really yeah. well." Let's put <laughs> Let's it in. It. Yeah. Just talk, she was talking between takes. Yeah, exactly. But uh, so I think having that as a centerpiece of the film and having the whole film revolve around it and how they updated kind of the tropes that they exposed in Scream in terms of like. I mean, there was a, a, a video store in Scream 1. Those yeah. don't even exist anymore. So to be able to um, kind of update mm-hmm. and have, you know, have it about the internet and, you know, everything that is relevant now. Mm-hmm. And it's also the bloodiest of all four of them. So that's pretty cool, too. Yeah. <laughs> but again, I think ter- what we were talking about before in terms of how smart Wes Craven is, this one, um, this film is... It's not just another Scream movie. It's like a turning that whole genre, or sorry, that whole franchise kind of on its side, and I loved it. Yeah, it was. there were a lot of tasteful parts. I thought that it actually um, – I, I felt as though there was a little bit of a notation in it 
Uh, and if you seen, say, for example, uh, there's one scene where it's like name the, you know, the I can't remember some horror franchise, something like that, and she starts going through. Yeah. And if that scene felt like these are all of the films that we never talked about in any of the other series yeah. that are like really important. So when she's yeah. like dropping like Suspiria and dropping, yeah. you know, we didn't talk much about Psycho. There was a there was a, a couple of Psycho references, but nothing, you know. Yeah. When the, she drops Last House on the Left, she, you know, yeah, you're, you're thinking, eyes. yeah. You're thinking, okay, okay, so this is kind of a like, but wait, we haven't forgot all of these other flicks, yeah. and, and I appreciated that because yeah. as much as, say, for example, Scream did very much, you know, uh, was a conduit for me getting into slashers. Yeah, uh, my favorite favorite slasher of all time is Black Christmas, mm-hmm. and it was like, oh, like just like give me one fucking Black yeah. Christmas thing. <laughs> and so. what's funny is that they couldn't make that reference for lack of better term in scream four like name the popular remake of the whatever and then Mm -hmm. she lists them all off Mm -hmm. that couldn't have happened without scream Mm -hmm. because it was because of scream that all of those remakes happened afterwards because of scream reigniting genre sorry reigniting the horror genre so Mm -hmm. i think that was just a clever kind of tie-in to what they created originally and how they're kind of continuing it with Mm -hmm. scream four Mm -hmm. so those are my six Wes Craven films. <laughs> wow. Are you ready to rock, Trevor? Yeah, I'm ready to rock. Uh, right. Obviously, because this is about great films uh, that he's done. Um, y'all, there, there's some overlap, but there's definitely surprisingly a lot less than I thought there would be. For a second there, I thought you were going to uh, drop Vampire in Brooklyn afternoon. Because <laughs> you said it was going to be an upset. And yeah. I'm like, oh, Red Eye. It's not on my list, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> and, and yeah. I heard that he only gave uh, Angela Bassett a part in Music of the Heart to say to, like, sorry for, for Vampire in well, Brooklyn. Oh, I think wow. that's inferred, but I don't think that that's, you know, like confirmed. I don't think you, that, I don't think there's a pity role. Yeah. <laughs> Rit- Especially for Angela Bassett. I know, like, right? Who can pretty much do anything. It was written by the uh, late Charlie Murphy. Was it really? Was it? Yeah. Vampire in Brooklyn? Yeah, yeah. Because I just watched it for this and uh, yeah. Huh. Rest in peace. Yeah. Also, in addition to Wes, losing so many greats. Yeah. All right. So my f- I'm going to do this in chronological order as well because it's hard to sort of rate them. Uh, my first one is The Last House on the Left. Okay. Um, it's a tie. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but it's actually considered part of the the subgenre of horror called the roughy, uh, which is like, like you know extreme, sometimes sexual, mm-hmm. uh, uh, sort of uh, thugs uh, subgenre that uh, was very popular in exploitation cinemas at the time. Um, there are some problems with the film, but you know I love it. I, there's a really sympathetic uh, character of the the guy that's just sort of going along with them the young gentleman who's addicted to to mm-hmm. heroin and just like going along with it yeah and, and uh the, yeah, i really like that character uh it's strange how sorry spoiler alert jump uh, jump ahead a little bit uh, uh yeah, use that 30 second skip button if <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh how the family like barely reacts to realizing that their daughter is dead and just all of a sudden start Home Alone style booby trapping yeah. the house. And yeah, the re- reaction's like a Chuck Norris movie or yeah, something. Like, yeah. oh, you're dead. All right, moving along. And 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 Wes reused that uh, gimmick with the with, with the booby traps with Nightmare yeah, uh, yeah. on Elm Street. Uh, I, I just find that interesting. So my my second uh, film was the hardest one to pick. Okay. 
I could see myself going back on this one, but okay. I'm going to say The Hills Have Eyes. Okay. Every time I've watched The Hills Have Eyes, it's really slow. Um, but the insanity of the family and sort of the backstory uh, of the inbred family uh, uh, sort of mutated by the nuclear uh, t- test range, uh, you know, the, the intensity of the violence similar to Last House on the Left mm-hmm. really got to me. Um, and, uh, you know, seeing this being helpless, you know, it seems like a cliche ridden film, uh, with a a helpless family in the the middle of the desert, uh, stranded being attacked by maniacs, Mm -hmm. but maybe it's a cliche because a lot of people, you know, a lot of other films sort of tried to rip this (laughs) off. Um, yeah, I, 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 I really like, uh, like this film. If I may cut in just for a second, Trevor, Scott has to escape, unfortunately. Sorry to leave. No, no, that's okay. I could talk about this for hours. (laughs) So you're going to – our master list when we get to it, it's going to be a surprise for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to to see you uh, battle it out or hear you battle it out and see if any of my uh, list got on the top three. (laughs) Right on. Well, I have a feeling Last House is – we already got two votes in for it. Um, Scott, thank you for coming out. Thank you for having me. Nice nice having you. Yes, thank you. Go West. Yeah, we'll see you back soon anyway. I I hope so. Thank you. Sorry I have to take off in a month or so. Enjoy the rest. Yeah. Yeah. So, sorry. All right. So, uh, Hills Have Eyes, uh, ultra-violent, very gross. Some effects are terrible. Like the, uh, there's a scene where one of the characters gets attacked by a dog and it looks really cheesy, <laughs> but I love it. I love it. It's, it's, it's just some nice, dirty, gritty, wholesome fun. Uh, next up, uh, nightmare in Elm street, the classic, um, <laughs> nice. you know, I, when we first decided to do this podcast or, or when you decided to do this and, and I said, I would do it. There is not any doubt that Nightmare on Elm Street is getting is on, making the list. on the list. You know, making it it's on, number yeah. one. It, it, it won Slasher Fest. It's uh, it's a classic. So we don't need to go into that too too deeply. Next one, not too many people talk about it. Um, it for me, it's the Serpent and the Rainbow. Ah, yes. I was I was curious if this was going to pop up. Um, now, uh, Bill Pullman, uh, stars as, uh, I forget, is he an archeologist or something, but, but he, it's, uh, set in the world of voodoo, voodoo yeah. and, uh, uh, things, you know, like Nightmare on Elm Street, a lot, a lot happens to him when mm-hmm. he's in dream states and, and sort of under the influence of this, this voodoo curse and, 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 uh, substances and whatnot. And uh, it just it, – it, it feels – even though Bill Pullman's uh, acting is terrible in the film. I don't know. I, I think the story overall is, is, great. is, is great. It's yeah. just written really well yeah. uh, and, and keeps you engaged throughout and sort of guessing of what's going on. And, and I don't think I've seen any other film before or since that's sort of like it. It's very original. There's two things that I always think of when I think of this flick. One is the the fucking uh, being buried alive is a terrifying thought, and uh, you know, um, there's a behind the scenes story about uh, uh, you know um, them kind of going to uh, actual villages and where a lot of this is shot and and engaging in this and and, and giving it a great deal of respect as a religion and. And it's interesting 
how um how it's it, as silly as like for example the third act of the flick is um it, it's 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 really it, it's kind of it's almost a study in in the religion more so than anything else that I've seen. Yeah, and it's something that we're all familiar with on some level, but yeah. really not familiar no. with. Like, it's exactly. sort of like, oh, this sort of exists. It's sort of real. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it is really a, a perfect choice for him to sort of set it in this world and explore uh, mm-hmm. things that uh, everyone knows about, but no one no a lot of people don't know in, in depth unless you're part of it. Exactly. And I also... When I think of this flick, I always think of this kind of rationalization of the idea of the living dead. And I I love I love that so much. We talked about in the first segment how there's always this uh methodical, learned sort of feel to a lot of his work. And I can tell you when I rewatched this about six weeks ago when we started talking about uh doing this panel, um I spent like better part of a day researching pretty much exactly what Bill Pullman goes through in this flick in terms of, you know, how they do it. And I even, what actually started me down the rabbit hole was Wes Craven talking about those rituals in interviews um, it, it, after in promotion for the movie. And it's like, there's some, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. And to think about this isn't a fucking horror movie, you know, and uh, I, I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm really glad to see it's on somebody's list. So, yeah. Perfect. Uh, next up is one that I'm okay with that if it doesn't end up on a final list, mm. uh, because it's out there. It's might be the most out there film of his career. It's one of the weirdest films I've ever seen is the people under the stairs. Okay. Um, you know, a, uh, a family in, in uh, impoverished you know in in the ghetto uh sort of realize that the landlords that are buying up all the properties and and sort of uh, you know forcing people out of their homes uh are like inbred psycho killers who are hiding people and kidnapping them and keeping them in their house in their basement this film is so fucking crazy the main gentleman who who is uh running around the house in a in a in a bondage outfit with a shotgun trying to shoot people that are living in the walls and he just can't get into the walls and he's just like running around crazy screaming um you know there there's the one scene where you know he he sends his dog through the walls to go attack the people living in the walls and he uh he tries to kill a kid that's in the the walls. The, this in there trying to find gold mm-hmm. for some reason. I don't know why they have a whole bunch of gold. Uh, but he kills his dog and he does this like little like celebration dance. <laughs> and I, and when I saw that, I'm like, yeah, this film is making my list because that is the <laughs> fucking craziest thing I have ever seen. Oh this guy is so insane. Um. You know, it's over the top. It's cartoony. Absolutely. To the but. max, but super entertaining. Um, yeah, I love it. I love it. It's uh, it's just so wacky that, you know, if you're sitting somewhere other at home or in a theater, 
seeing a retro, you know, seeing comprehensive list of his films, like for me, it just stands it out. Stands it's something out, yeah. that like, okay, this might not be your favorite, but this is a film that you probably need to see to understand the canon and understand everything that is Wes Craven. It's very different. Interesting. Yeah. And then uh, New Nightmare, uh, which we talked about. Uh, it uh, is uh, totally original. Uh, scary. I, I didn't remember it being scary, but I was watching it the other day, and I'm like, yeah, this is this is creepy, you mm-hmm. know? And, and also, too, you're not sure if, if Nancy's... Go, or uh, Heather Langenkamp is going insane or not, mm-hmm. you know? So, so it, it works on, on like layer upon layer. It's just fantastic. Uh, and, and it's interesting to see her again in the series in a family element, which was something that was so great about the first one, and yet feeling so uh, closed off from the world because she doesn't know if she's going crazy exactly. Yeah, I was reading up that her actual husband – is a special effects artist, yeah. and he was offered the role, but he turned it down. He didn't want uh, uh, to to be any part of it. I thought that was interesting. You know, it's 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 real and not real. Uh, it also has the same teacher from the first one, and it plays a nurse. So the teacher that's in the classroom and Nancy first falls asleep. Oh, you're kidding? Yeah, she plays a nurse. So there's like it's weird. There's like nods back to the other films that's all sweet. over it, sort of hidden. Yeah. Uh, so if you're looking very carefully and you're well versed in in the Nightmare on Elm Street series, you'll yeah. see lots of stuff. And there's lots of little one-liners, uh, like in Scream, that sort of just poke fun at uh, at uh, himself and 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 what those films were. So New Nightmare. Intense rewatchability. Absolutely. Every time I watch it, there's something new I notice. Right on. Um, yeah. And then final. Oh, that wasn't that. That's six, dude. But okay. Is got, that six? That is six. But if you got, you got a, you got. No, a... I have Last House on the Left, Hills Have Eyes, Nightmare on Elm Street, Serpent and the Rainbow, People Under the Stairs, New Nightmare. Ah, shit. All right. So you know I am going Honorable to mention. I, I'm 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 going to break the rules. <laughs> I'm going to slash the hills have eyes. All right. And and put in screen. Yeah. 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 Damn. So, so yeah. Ousted hills have eyes. In goes scream. Yeah. Why scream the 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 closer of 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 your of your list? It's just a perfect movie. It's just <laughs> perfect. And and without that film. Horror might have really died, yeah. It's very you know, because it was just not that that horror has become perfect, but but you know, like I don't think there would be any money for horror films. There was a real resurgence, and Wes Craven single handedly. I know a lot of people make the film, but and Kevin Williamson yeah. and everyone involved. They say they he saved horror with that film, and uh, it's 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 scary. It's smart, uh, well acted, well loved. Um, if you're having a Wes Craven a thon, it's sc- got to be in. There. It's got to be in there, right on. Yeah. So that's my list. All right, all right. So let's do my list, then we'll take a little break, come back, and and try and uh, form a master list. Okay. So we should also talk about some of the dishonorable mentions too. Yeah, that might be fun. Yeah, that might be fun. All right, okay. all right, all right. I like this. Um, so I'll I'll go fairly quickly. Um, my first one is, and I'm I went completely chronologically, and uh, how I formed my list was I, I went for a uh, a feeling of tone and growth, and I also 
something that Devin gives me a lot of shit for on the show is a lot of the times I love the stories behind the film as much as I love the films. I like the idea of being able to learn from the films both their content and then obviously what you what you read about them from behind the scenes and so forth. So there is a little bit of that in in my list. So try not to, you know, take any swings at me if you if you don't like maybe maybe one of the things on my list. But in any case, so my first one is Last House on the Left. No surprise. So that's on the definitive list that's, for sure. That, it's it's across everyone's list. It's going on. Um, I'm I'm happy for that. I'm surprised. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Okay, and the reason that I put it on it's it's not even one of my favorite. You know anything really? My mom really likes this movie, which is so weird. If, if any, you know, like Paul obviously has met my mom. Paul's hiding off of uh, camera and off off microphone, but she's obviously met my mother, and uh, she's like so calm and 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 cool. And then all of a sudden you put a fucking horror movie in front of her, and she's like, "Yeah, like that's just it's it's really interesting." Um, one thing that that stands out for me is is the shock value of this piece. Um, co-mingled with and you touched on it uh already trevor but a little bit of killer's remorse from again the one character's kind of got an addiction he's got he's he's kind of stuck with them in the situation and i i like that that almost for me in in a first viewing um which i was probably about 13 14 when i saw this flick the first time um kind of leveled out what uh was going on and also i too very much like the home alone kind of element of uh with the parents so I, i think that this this film uh also re- really <clears throat> you'd think that it suffered from pacing issues because of all the kind of character changes and the flow of the film changes the focus of the film changes at times but it doesn't because of the content it keeps you thro- so enthralled i also love the fact that the story behind the film is is the it's not an r-rated film it's an x-rated film and and they they took sean cunningham took the fucking r off of another film reel and put it at the beginning of his film to to get you know they didn't get an R rating from the MPAA, um, which is just so cool. It's you know now they can't do anything about it because it's past the statute of limitations, as Wes Craven often reminded everyone in interviews. But yeah, I, I love that. I love that renegade filmmaking. I love uh, you know. The- there's like twenty different versions of this oh, film yeah. because e- with each video release, there's different scenes, mm-hmm. different there. There's whole scenes cut out. There's no definitive version no. of this film because even exhibitors did their own personal cuts when they were originally showing the film. And and you know, uh, there's that interview with Craven where he, he admitted that he did uh, cuts over the phone with an editor uh, to to like cut it down and and they restored as much as they could for for uh you know i guess blu-ray and dvd releases later on yeah it's interesting yeah really cool stuff so that's my first one um what something about, that w- couldn't happen today yeah you know there, there's no no, no film is gonna get lost no you know, it's, it's insane scenes, it's just there it's insane yeah you're you're gonna fucking flip that this one's on my list but i don't care i'm gonna go with it <laughs> oh don't tell me Oh, it's not it's not Vampire in Brooklyn, so calm down. Okay. Uh, but it is Swamp Thing. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Oh, really? Yeah. You had this feeling that I was going to throw that out there? Uh-huh. Okay. And again, it's a little bit of a... Uh, I, lo- I love a little bit of the behind the scenes. Um, also, keep in mind that when I first saw this, um, I was a big Robocop fan. 
uh, and obviously one of the villains in RoboCop is your protagonist here. This is interesting. This film is interesting to me for a couple of reasons. Obviously, because it's the first film that that uh, Craven worked on with a, a a budget and a guarantor. Um, so there was literally people on set that were, um, you know, guaranteeing that this this film kind of got to the finish line, so to speak, on budget. And uh, they were also shooting uh, down in North Carolina at. Uh, the screen gem now it's screen gem studios down there um also like ninja turtles was shot there and like the crow was shot there so like there's like a there's like a lineage for me as a as a comic book geek and whatnot okay and also the thing that i love about did did you ever read swamp thing yes okay and and that's what's interesting to me about the film is exactly where i was going so thank you that's a nice segue if i was slicker about it This film was created a year or released a year before Alan Moore came on to Swamp Thing and rewrote his backstory. So everyone looks at this uh, this piece and goes, oh, well, but but like Swamp Thing it has a completely different backstory. But this film is an amalgamation and, and a fairly reasonable one of the comics and the comic series that existed at that time. And I find that so hilarious um, that like it has this cult status because of it, because it's kitschy and niche and it looks terrible and, you know, the yes, costume and all of this stuff. But, you know, when you think back to what you could do in that era, for one, um, and also like what people are spouting all the time now, like stick to the source material and all this shit. Wes Craven was doing exactly that at the fucking time. Mm. And it's this revisionist history that's happened in the comic that's that's changed that. And I, I find that really, really interesting. Uh, also, yeah, like that fucking... Um, the like kind of final showdown at the end, that werewolfy type thing with a fucking sword, uh, makes me laugh so hard every time I see it. Uh, <laughs> And it's just, it's hilarious. There's, like, Adrian Barbeau is topless in the, in the fucking swamp for some reason. Mm. It's, like, it's one of those things that you can't help but keep watching. It's so bad. It's the, so the, fun. The suit is so terrible. There's scenes where he's walking around, and you can see the can suit see folding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's you just, can see the suit folding. You can see it tearing apart. It's also got the lead from The Last House on the left in it. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, I had never seen this. Ever? Uh, you never seen Swamp Thing? Uh, not prior to last Wednesday. Okay. Um, and I was watching it with my fiance, and we were just laughing at how right? shitty it was. I know. And and we, I was talking about this covertly out on the balcony. I'm like, I always thought this film was going to be like like a classic that that I'm going to come to and be like, why haven't I watched this for years? No. And I saw it, but I'm unfamiliar. I'm not a comic guy. So I have, I have no love for it for that reason, but it's just, just ludicrous. It looks like shit. The story is boring. There's nothing in it that, that it's just ridiculous from beginning to end. And, uh, yeah, fuck. Absolutely. To a certain extent, it has a nostalgia vote for me because, uh, you know, I grew up, watching like the incredible hulk with lou ferrigno and shit like this like i think i even watched the tv spider-man show like yeah. just which is fucking terrible um but you know i loved it as a kid i had dinner with him once yeah lou ferrigno <laughs> yeah nice 
He's cool as fuck, man. Yeah, he's a cool dude. Um, he eats a lot. <laughs> I bet. That's that he's got to keep those muscles uh keep that energy up. But uh yeah, he, you know, it's it's something that you can watch, you know it's bad, but you know it's hilarious at the same time and I think some of that is intentional. I also love again, a lot of my list is the stories behind the scenes. So um how the first half of the film you're getting like cut 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 it's really clean looks proper and you see that sporadically throughout the film and then all of a sudden there's just so many scenes in it that are shot in master shots because they just like again that guarantor just being like you gotta you gotta fucking go like a lot of stuff just one take uh it's it's really fucking funny so people are always like well swamp things not you know not a human he just has the memories of said you know like and and at the time it wasn't that and at the time it was campy it was niche it was a b-list dc comic and and all of those things it's this is a fucking b movie and and it should be embraced as that and i think i think it's fun and i you know i really do i really do love it and i i'd love for someone to put this in in a in a craven marathon it was fun to a certain degree i i i i i I admit, okay, maybe it has a place, mm-hmm. but uh, I, you know, from that perspective, that it's fun and campy, and it's definitely different. And, um, and it's interesting to see a horror director who's been, you know, just in terms of accolades. Even though this is a stage in his career where he didn't make a lot of money, he to do, you know, I guess Two Hills Have Eyes, to do Last House. Uh, you know, it, the it the second Hills of Eyes came after this. Oh, okay. So there you go. Um, it's interesting to put. It's interesting that they would take the risk of putting a comic book movie in a horror writer's hands, which is also funny because obviously he never got to direct Superman four. Thanks, Christopher Reeve. But who I'm not. I'm not fucking before anyone I, I like, emails know, the show. Uh, I, I don't know he was up for that. I'm not. I'm not. Oh, I'm not shitting on Christopher Reeve here. But Christopher Reeve said Wes Craven will not direct a Superman movie. Mm. So yeah, he was up for Superman four. He was also up for Beetlejuice two, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And he lost both of those. So hmm. yeah, bummer. Because I, you know, anything would be better than the Superman four that we have, unless you're Devin. Who hates Superman? So loves Superman. I sort 4. of like Superman for. I do I have nostalgia because, because reason, I went. I same saw it at the drive-in yeah, when I was thing. a kid, and like because of that, I have a memory of that time yeah. of going to the drive-in with my parents, and it was fun. Yeah, it's shit, but it's fun. Which is the same thing with Swamp Thing. So yeah. it's on my list. Okay, all right, Fair enough. Let's let's plow through the rest because I think no one's going to really be too upset with the rest of my picks. Obviously, next film up is the classic. A Nightmare on Elm Street. I love this film. It's again, can't say it enough. One of the one of the most iconic slasher films ever. Um, and when I think horror comedy that works, this is always one that that stands out. It's not overt. It's it's again very intellectual, very methodical about how those those moments of. Um, um, kind of uh releasing the tension are offered to the audience and and i think that's really cool obviously there's so much ingenuity in 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 making this you know freddie popping out of the wall it's just fucking spandex and uh even yeah the, i found that really effective yeah but, it's yeah. amazing still looks great um the 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 bathtub scene pulling uh heather lane camp down into 
the water, uh, just fucking garbage bags <laughs> in a pool uh, kind of thing. And um, obviously the fishing poles on the arms, these sorts of things. I love it. Um, I was, uh, you know, looking back at it, I was scared of when they ripped his face off. But now it feels yeah. like it doesn't fit. It doesn't because uh, he never does it again. Yeah. I completely agree. But it's a dream. Anything that. can happen with the dream. Yeah. I, th- I think that uh, it it fits under that context. If his sure. fingers can be heroin needles, yeah, <laughs> his face can be a skeleton. Um, so no no surprise on on that. Um, next up, new nightmare. I think we've said a lot on new nightmare. Probably the only scene that I might take away would have been the Freddy in the clouds scene. But I do like that, again, that lends to, is this in her mind or or is this actually happening? Um, I was really worried after they killed off John Saxon's character that I was never going to see him again in a a nightmare film, um, which I got. I had the luxury of of watching the majority of these in one sitting, uh, which a lot of people didn't. Um, And it was great to see him back in this because I love John Saxon. Again, we were talking about my love for Black Black Christmas. Christmas, So. and he's great. And that moment when he all of a sudden starts calling her Nancy is like that works really well as an adult. That's one of the most creepy fucking moments because that's that that that's a moment where you realize that this is this is this is happening. This isn't going to be some stupid flip it and oh, it's all in her head or something. This is this is fucking happening. Well, I actually took that the other way. I'm oh, really? Like, maybe she's fucking losing her shit. Okay. Yeah because <laughs> i'm like okay she's actually hearing him say this i'm yeah. like he's not going to be saying it but it's open to interpretation which, yeah yeah which so. is what i like about it and then uh rounding out the first scream as you already said perfect perfect uh film nearly especially for the era what it's what it did for um bringing horror back to the mainstream making it popular you talked about a little bit on uh on slasher fest when we did the scream episode how it was interesting to see you know, people coming up to you in, in high school and saying, okay, this is, you know, this is a great movie. I like this. Tell me some more stuff like this. Um, so culturally, it's very important. I love a lot of the stuff that, obviously, the content in it. I also really love Halloween. And I love the um, the fact that the entire movie basically plays out in the third act. Like, you're watching Halloween while you're watching Scream. I think that's hilarious. Uh, I love the Wes Carpenter line. <laughs> that you know even the first time i saw the movie i was like hmm, that sounds wrong and i was 10 yeah um so yeah you know great flick i think that's going to be a definitive one on the list and i can't say enough about it if you really want to hear us talk more about scream trevor you and i and nick already did a show on it so go back to the last episode of slasher fest episode four of slasher fest and you can hear me geek out on scream and my final film is actually also on Scott's list. It's Red Eye. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. Red Eye, for me, um, it's the intimacy of, of the, and, and a character study, that element of it um, that works so well. I also find it really interesting how it's shot, how it's executed, because one thing that, does kind of stand out for me in a lot of his films uh, throughout his career is that Craven loves exposition to just be exposition. He has no problem just have a character just all of a sudden be like, basically, once upon a time, blah, 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 blah. And this film 
got around that in a lot of really brilliant ways. And I do like that. Obviously, the third act does fall off a little bit for me. But like we've talked about many times with his entire catalog and with his film, um, the strong performances, the kind of character study elements of it, the strong dialogue, um, the the look of the film uh, and the fun that's hidden in it. Um, There's make, a lot of really good subtle humor in this yeah, film. Yeah, really good. Um, yeah, when, he, makes when he's asking me. the old lady, oh, are you missing something? Oh, it's my book. <laughs> i don't know why it's just like little moments like that it, it it adds something special to it you know it's just like i like it yeah all right so let's take a little break that we'll, i wow. we'll, yeah i know it's two votes winner winner so i might i might have to i might have to argue for this in the next segment so we'll come back if you want we'll get into some of the ones that we didn't touch on and then we'll finalize our list sounds good all right We're back. Yeah. All right. And you wanted to touch on, before we, we finalize our list, you wanted to touch on some of the films that didn't make it on our list. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, Shocker. Let's talk about <laughs> Shocker. Oh, man. <laughs> I used to love Shocker, and I used to really hold it in high regard. If I had not rewatched it, mm. and we had to do a list from memory, I think it might have made my list. Really? Because I, I used to think it was great. I didn't dislike the film. One problem I, I have with a lot of, uh, I don't know, a lot of genre film of any sort is if generally I like the idea of, uh, say, for example, defining the rules of a universe. So say, for example, something like Jurassic Park, you define the rules in the first film and then all the subsequent films have to kind of follow those rules. And that's... Because I understand, or The Matrix, we re- referenced that earlier, these sorts of things. And, and sometimes when when uh, series like that depart, they depart because they kind of, the rules dissolve. And this film has no fucking rules. Like Mitch Pileggi is just, he's on level 100. It is kind of brilliant, though. <laughs> I'll give him that. It's it's weird because, you know, it, it, it part of what happens to him and, and how he changes form is part of like voodoo. And he just come off of doing serpent and the rainbow. rainbow. Yeah. And he sort of just throws it in there with no regard to, to anything about it other than one or two scenes. And then just, it, it completely disappears. Uh, yeah. It, it seems like, like they were just making it up as they go. Like here's some cameras. Uh, here's a bit of money. Go shoot something like in a week. That's what it feels like to me. <laughs> it's just like, okay, let's do this now. Let's, let's go that and we'll just fix it in post. And uh, I don't know. They didn't was, know that they're, was they're this, was FX this film guy. taken away from him? Like, like, no, no, this film wasn't taken away from him. In fact, it was quite arduous from what i understand to get the film to the finish line so to speak because they were literally finding uh reels of the film in people's trunks of their cars and you know on production work benches and this sort of thing and um you know to get this film made seemed to be rather strenuous on him for people that aren't familiar with shocker it's the story of a serial killer mm-hmm. Played by uh, Mitch Pileggi, who's uh, better known as uh, the dir- uh, director Skin- Skinner, director Skinner from X Files. X Files, yeah. Um, who's and he's I love just him like that. 
about as over the top as a serial killer can get. I know. It's amazing. <laughs> and for some reason that's not explained, uh, a family member uh, of one of the killed families starts dreaming about his murders before they happen and uh they try to catch him and then all of a sudden he within a 10 minute span gets arrested and then put on death row (laughs) (laughs) and then all of a sudden becomes electricity and (laughs) starts running around different television shows and uh, just it's hard to explain what this film is because it just makes no sense. Like, oh, but yeah, now we talk about it more. I do love this film. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? Like, it doesn't look that great. It, but it's it, it is a hell of a lot of fun. And it's I think some of the fact, effects look cool. Yeah, yeah. And some of the kills are sort of interesting. Oh, a little yeah. bit brutal. Uh, so, so there's things to like about it, but Mitch Pileggi's acting is so over the top, mm. uh, that I, he's not convincing. Well, what's interesting is I've heard interviews with Pileggi where he's talked about how he would do a take and it would be somewhat subdued and then Craven would go, you know what, could you just dial that up a bit? And he'd do a few more takes like that, which is so interesting because you hear the same sort of stories, uh, sometimes in the inverse and sometimes in that context with, uh, with Robert England mm. with regards to Freddie. And of course this film is kind of them trying to recreate the magic of nightmare on Elm street to a certain extent. Um, and he, you know, Craven's been quoted as saying, you know, if you could just capture magic in a bottle, then, then everyone would be doing it kind of thing. And, and, and this is a, 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 a good lesson for him in that regard. So, it, you know, it definitely is, um, something that you should look at in his catalog. Uh, Craven also cast him in Night Visions, the movie he made after Shocker as well, <laughs> yeah, which right. is a straight-to-TV Yeah, movie. you were telling me that you watched that this week. I watched about 20 minutes of it. <laughs> uh, I, I, I might have finished it. Uh, I just didn't have time to get through it, and I'm like, okay, this is not going to make the list. I can tell already <laughs> before anything happens. Uh, other films I watched was Deadly Blessing, a right. made-for-TV sort of set in a... Amish type community, uh, Hittite community, uh, sort of like, you know, be afraid of God. He's going to, and, and, uh, sort of a slasher set mm-hmm. in that world. It was okay. And it's interesting looking at, of course, Craven's upbringing and the context of, of, of that film. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know much about him as a man. I well, only know his work. Really. Well, he was raised in a very religious household, essentially as he tells the story, um, his his father died after leaving the family and Craven was maybe around four years old, four or five memory serves. And his mother um, kind of found solace in the church. And this is why, or not because of that, but she leaned on the church a little, you know, not necessarily leaned, but found, you know, um, a part of herself in it for whatever it's worth and kind of raised the family in a, a fairly... Uh, strong religious upbringing so the only uh, exposure that he had in a lot of context to the um the more taboo subject matter if you will was not on film but rather in books because he was obviously allowed to to read at length whereas the only films that they really watched as children were predominantly disney films and then later on um the family started producing porno yeah (laughs) 
Well, which is interesting too, because from what I understand, he he had uh, a babysitter who who the the husband had a sixteen millimeter camera and would often you know show um, film reels of like daredevil footage and this sort of thing to him. Okay, this is one of his early exposures, and of course. He then would go on to purchase a 16 millimeter camera and do that film project with his students, um, which would kind of be a springboard into him quitting his fucking job and 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 trying to get into the film industry. One of his first jobs being a a sound editing job for a fairly well known musician, if memory serves, and uh, and then from there, kind of yes, porno, some pornos, a little Abe Snake action. And uh, well, they assume he's Abe Snake because he's he makes a cameo in uh, what's the name of that flick? I'm trying to think of it uh, with the incestuous the firework, uh, fireworks woman. Oh yes, okay, yes. And uh, if memory, which serves, apparently is terrible. Yeah, I was I, just reading about it, but yeah. I was reading about it as well um, about six weeks ago when we first started talking about this. But it's an incestuous uh, brother sister situation. Uh, the brother. And sister have sex. The brother's like, okay, nope, and goes into the church, and and the sister pursues him. Something like this. Does this ring a bell? Something about that. I'm gonna have to watch it now. Yeah, because you know. Well, you touched on those themes later. We're in, all craving in, in nuts. people under the stairs as well. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, flipping it from something sort of to be uh, exciting to something just like twisted. Mm-hmm. He does that a lot, you know. He'll he'll not give up an idea. He'll play with it a little bit. You see that over and over in his career. There's a good interview with him too, where uh, he talked about Nightmare on Elm Street and all of the studios that said like, "No, this isn't scary and whatnot." And how he said, uh, "I think this is on the the uh, the Fangoria bio of him, if I, if memory serves." The interview that uh, Fangoria did with him, but um, something to the extent of. Uh, even if you're you have the the next big thing, it's hard to tell if someone will recognize that. And it's interesting, like you said, that he keeps recycling these ideas, almost his confidence in his ideas. It's cool. I like it. Yeah, he shot he shopped uh, Nightmare around to endless amounts of uh, all all over. It was like four or five years, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Bob Shea was the only one that that got it. Yeah, and gave him a shit deal if memory serves as well to get. <laughs> well, that's Hollywood. Right? Yeah, there's stories Especially about Bob Sh- Shea like losing his fucking hair and chewing his fingernails. He's a uh, fingernail thing, doesn't he? Uh, behind the scenes of that flick. So yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool how that stuff comes to be. Is there anything, any other film that 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 stands out that uh, is worth mentioning or or trashing? You know, there's a lot of good stuff. Or stuff that I think has uh, has merit in in his you know filmography that you know you already mentioned Shocker. I have a weird soft spot uh, for Deadly Friend with uh, Christy Swanson. Okay, I haven't seen that. And um, there's I, I there's one great scene. What's the name of the the lady that plays um, the the evil mother of the henchmen in Goonies? I can't think of her name. Okay, yes, I know the actress. That, oh, uh, man, it's embarrassing. In any case, um, where she throws a fucking basketball at her head and her head explodes. <laughs> and it's just so cheesy and fucking perfect uh, that I absolutely, I, I, I love it. I don't know. There's, you know, he's, he's, 
there there's always these moments of just uh emotional resonance no matter what he's doing and and that was a big part of my decision to put swamp thing on my list okay was that you know like even as shit as this is it's like you can you somehow connect with him in a weird way in all of his films and i i love that you know why he never directed an episode of masters of horror no i know he did some twilight zone if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah, because or, uh, we're looking at his film. Yeah, there they are. He did five episodes of Twilight Zone, but yeah, I have no idea why he never did a Masters of Horror episode. That is interesting. Because almost all the other big names have, have been in there, and some lesser known names, and it was a really good show. Yeah. All right. So, definitive list. Let's talk about that. So, it's obvious that uh, Last House on the Left, picked by all three of us, mm-hmm. his first uh, venture. Also picked by all three of us. What else we got? Night, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street. A New Nightmare. New, new Nightmare. nightmare uh, and Scream. Scream is picked by all of us. So really, I think those four films are in. For sure. Okay. So we've got to nail down two So kids, more if, if you haven't been watching, uh, you can start watching those while we figure out the other two. <laughs> Just put them on. Keep the headphone in one ear. Yeah. And we'll, we'll go from there. Now... Red Eye. Let's quickly talk about this one because it is on two lists. It's on two lists. Um, so it, it, I, I think that, that that indicates that it's, it's, it's worth putting on there. Is it uh, a strong it, enough work in your mind out of his catalog? I, I would be comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's a good film. It's it a is good a good film. film. Um, is it one of my favorites? No, but there's a lot of good things about it, and there's very little that I have a problem with. It's just... Um, it just didn't stand out as something that was as original as other films. That's why I didn't put it on his list. But that doesn't mean that it isn't uh, uh, very good. No. And, you know, one thing, the reason that a, a big reason why I put it on was because I felt as though this is a film that you can kind of say, for example, people who aren't. And I know that isn't our target market here. But people who aren't super into say for example a specific type of of horror film so if you're not into slasher flicks or if you're not into supernatural horror or something like that we've touched on films that are, that sit on both sides of the spectrum here we send, tend to seemingly favor his slasher work which is a large part of his directorial catalog um but there's something about the film because of the fact that it is a thriller i can remember watching this film with my grandmother um and her really liking it and uh, there's, I don't know, there, there's something to the flick that it seems to appeal to a mass audience. And that's also the reason why I'm kind of apprehensive about, even though it was on my personal list and I was really pushing for it earlier in the week. Um, I'm now thinking about it and thinking, if you're going to get into the nitty gritty of this guy's catalog, is do you really want to watch it? probably one of the films on this list that's more popcorny well maybe it's a good thing to have that on there because if you're gonna if you're not exposed to his entire career maybe you want to have something that's a little bit more accessible um rather than uh you know you're you're gonna be seeing some of the stuff that might be a little bit more difficult to get through like uh last house on the left mm-hmm. um you know seeing something that's a little bit more accessible especially if you're watching it in chronological order it mm-hmm. might be a, a nice way to sort of just even out mm-hmm. uh, uh you know exploratory session i mean you should watch it if, oh, absolutely. if, if you're into it so why not 
All right, so then, good sir, we have one spot left, and we've nominated between the three of us five other films, because I'm going to allow The Hills Have Eyes to stick around. I'm going to let you cheat. Okay. Because, you know, we want you to come back so you can do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> so, basically, what we have still on the table that we've got to debate out is The Hills Have Eyes, Serpent in the Rainbow, uh, People Under the Stairs, Swamp Thing, and okay. Scream 4. Scream 4. And which of these flicks is going to be the final submission to our list for a newcomer to Craven's catalog, what they should binge watch in their first session? Let's start off with The Hills Have Eyes. Pros and cons. Pros. When people talk about Craven... It's almost always mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, early horror of the, of that, uh, you know, late seventies, early eighties, has a certain look to it, a mm-hmm. certain feel, a certain grittiness that that is sort of visceral. Absolutely, uh, it, 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 it the look of the film and sort of the low budget. Um, I don't know. It, it makes it seem a little bit more creepy mm-hmm. than uh, than than other films. I mean, if this film was made twenty years later, I don't think we would be talking about it. Exactly. If like it we're looked- not sitting here arguing for the remake, the merits of it. You know, which obviously is not him, but he does have a an executive producer and I guess story credit on per se, and that he, or character writing credit on per se. So yeah, the story is simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but the violence is intense enough that, that it sort of gives me a rush. I love the uh, the story about him location scouting uh, with someone else from the production for this film. And uh, they rent this car. They go out into the desert. And, of course, Wes Craven can tell this be- a lot better than I can. So go look for this story on like YouTube or something like that. But um, him, they basically they go out into the desert and someone warns them like, okay, but you you don't want to get lost out here because no one will ever find you kind of thing. And, uh, and then their car, uh, their car overheating and them getting stuck out there, essentially waiting for the car to cool down, but then being terrified, this car is not going to start. Mm. Um, and, and the reality of all that setting in of the script that he's penned, um, setting in i think that does play a big role in in how the film is shot and how it's edited and so forth is is just how real this this could this could very well happen even in america today there's not a lot of places in america where it would be as bad as there yeah yeah but the desert swallows people up as as, Mm -hmm. you know so i remember sorry go ahead i i remember traveling out to that area with my parents when i was a kid we mm-hmm. went on an eight-week trip across uh, north america cool so i've seen that terrain firsthand and uh it's creepy oh it's absolutely creepy. yeah cons for this one why wouldn't this be on the definitive list for you because i know you took it off it was very close but you took it off over say for example scream so what what kept film like super serpent in the rainbow which you kept on your list or or scream versus this flick well several years ago halloween night mm-hmm. i uh, i was living in ottawa and uh, a bunch of friends came over and they're like we're gonna watch a scary movie for halloween mm-hmm. and uh they're like trevor you're the horror guy 
you know, show us some films. And, and Hills Have Eyes were one of them, and we decided to pick it. And we watched it with a bunch of people that probably have seen Scream and seen Nightmare on Elm Street, but not a lot of horror. Okay. And after 30 minutes, they're like, turn this fucking film off. Really? Because it's boring. It's really slow. Yeah, it is really slow. And for people that aren't into the, it, it, they didn't find it scary at all. I mean, the violence towards the end is pretty intense, but it, they weren't you scared. There. They weren't scared. They weren't scared. And, uh, you know, the, the, the overtopness of, of, of the, uh, of the clan of people is campy as shit Mm -hmm. and uh, really sort of unbelievable. So uh, as people, you know, showing it to people to try to get into a scary film, they did, they didn't dig it. And, uh, and every time I watch it, like sometimes I'll start it for like a half an hour, fall asleep. It's not a film that you want to watch if you're going to fall asleep because it's, it, it builds way too slow. There's a we were talking about Mitch Pileggi, obviously, and his role as director Skinner on the X Files. There's a an episode Skin Man. Yeah. There's an episode of X Files which isn't technically included in, in the canon because it was aired once and then removed from the syndication, uh, which is very reminiscent of Hills Have Eyes. There's this uh, inbred family and this sort of thing, and there's some very shocking oh, images. It's a great episode. It is a great episode. I can't think of the name of it to save my life, which is fucking embarrassing. Because uh, I love that show. Um, it's probably in the fourth or fifth season, yeah. or something like that. And I, you know, I don't know if it's on the Blu-ray or DVDs. It I, is. It is. Okay, it they is. put it back in. Um, it, which is sitting over there for fuck's sakes. I didn't even know that Devin has the X Files on on DVD. So there you go. That's what I'm doing the rest of this weekend. Um, but in any case, um, if you like that episode, I think that that Hills Have Eyes. If you haven't seen it, is 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 something. F- that you'd really like to go down because obviously it's i i think you're right though in that the the pacing does seem to not sit well with current audiences so historical significance um an early work of a horror master these are pros but cons would be kind of you got to have an attention span for it what do we got next serpent in the rainbow i really like this film you mentioned that you didn't like bill pullman that much in it I thought he was great, again, until the third act, which does somewhat happen. Uh, but he doesn't seem super believable. Mm-hmm. He, it's it's not like he, he – but it's Serpent in the Rainbow. It doesn't necessarily have to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that this film – pros for me would be that it's, it's, an, it's a really good and – um, kind of somewhat honest look from a cynical eye, mind you, of um, someone who's grown up in a religious family, applying that to a completely different religion. Um, I do like that element of it. From, say, for example, the same reason I formed my list, the kind of behind-the-scenes enthusiasm that I have for Craven's work. Um, the production quality is amazing. You know, it shot, is. Shot on the, the, the locations. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it, it, it looks great. There's a story with Bill Pullman uh, where he's talking about how Wes Craven's just like, hey, uh, your wife's here. Why don't you have her uh, push the needle through the, the gentleman's face here? And she does it. And the whole time they think that it's it's like it's, you know, makeup and blah, blah, blah. 
And that's legit. She pushes that needle through that cat's face. Oh. In real life, that's that really fucking happens. Wow. Um, so, yeah, again, geeking out. But uh, again, I have I have that problem where I just don't think it has the transcendental qualities needed to kind of capture anyone who isn't already in love with his work. So pros and cons there anything you'd like to add before we move along no i would i would agree it was on your list so yeah no i i i out of all these Mm. this is my favorite still okay um when we first started doing this like this was my number three pick okay yeah like i feel really strongly about how good this film is but uh i understand that it might be hard for some newcomers to get into it and if that is the sole reason for this, uh, then then maybe you're right. People under the stairs. I'm not a big fan of this flick. I understand. I, I like used it. to talk a lot of shit about it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I rewatched it for this that I'm like, no, this is special. It is special. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. Um, for me, out of this list, this is the one that I rule out first. Um, not because it's not a good film it's really watchable it has a lot of the staples of of his catalog don't get me wrong um i just think that there's the most moments in this film that if you're not already on board they'll pull you out of the film i would agree and and so you know for me this would be the first one that i would absolutely strike from the list would you be okay with that if I take this off? Or yeah, no? no, no, I'm okay with that. I totally understand. Okay. Uh, I used to view it's it's weird. I used to view Shocker as a really good film, and now I view it as shit. And I used to view People Under the Stairs as shit, and now it's one of my favorites. Favorites, interesting. So one that we should pay maybe say, even though we're taking it off now, you got to watch it if you haven't already. Yeah, absolutely. I, cool. I, I don't think, other than the films that we really haven't touched on in great detail, I don't think there's anything that we've talked about that you shouldn't check out. Yeah. Absolutely. And you just watched Scream 3 for the first time like like a week ago? Or this no, week? this morning. Oh, wow. At 7 in the morning. You didn't realize that you hadn't seen it? No. I, I might have... Maybe I saw it, but I didn't remember a single scene out of it. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. It blew my mind. And uh, you can definitely tell there's a, a quality drop uh, from from Scream 2. You know, it seems a little bit formulaic, a little bit. I mean, it's still smart and you're still trying to do new things, but it, it feels a little tired to me. Mm-hmm. And the last one in the running, Scream 4. You're not a big fan of this flick. I've only seen it once. Okay. Um, it was okay. I don't remember it in great detail. This and film there's probably a reason for that. Yeah, exactly. Um, I kind of disagree with Scott, what he was saying earlier about it kind of rewriting the rewrite, per se, of, of the horror genre. I don't think it's that culturally important. Um, I think most people discount it as not being part of it. I, I think people view the first three as a trilogy, and this is sort of like a bonus thing. I like this one better than three. Okay. Considerably better than three. I'd, in fact, be fine if I was going to pitch a trilogy to someone. I'd be like, go one, two, four. Okay. Even with all the problems with number two and like Williamson not really being as involved in the script writing process because he was working on like Dawson's Creek and like other shit at the time uh, and kind of just submitting pages 
on the go and like a bunch of people writing it like scream 2 just feels like a better flick uh and scream 3 i don't know it's just uh, one thing that hurts about scream 3 is that the the original premise for the film that they had had completely ironed out and were going to roll with um got the kibosh because columbine happened like that was going to go back to a school and it was going to be i think the principal's daughter or some shit like that Mm. um and they they didn't get to do that because of what happened with columbine and you know uh, which is a terrible tragedy obviously and you, you never like to hear about this sort of thing um and of course there is whatever you want to say there you i guess you got to kind of respect them being willing to pull the plug on it even though it's a guaranteed cash grab and start from scratch again but yeah, three is just not strong enough for my liking. Four would be in my trilogy. That being said, are you comfortable with me scratching four off the list? I was just going to say that. Yeah. Out of these four, out of like the the uh, sorry the three films remaining, um, or sorry four films remaining, because uh, we haven't talked about Swamp Thing yet. Okay. I apologize. I would I would cross this one off because I just. We've got a lot Sorry, of Sorry Scott. Yeah, we've got a lot of of later stuff in here in terms of we got New Nightmare, uh we've got Scream and we've got Red Eye and I th- I think that that kind of I think we need another early work. I feel that that someone needs to take a ride. If you're going to do a marathon, you should encompass his whole body of work from start to finish. Is that fair? Yes. All right. So, uh Swamp Thing real quick. I know that you're going to ax it, so it's okay. But one last argument for it is just the fact that it's his first big studio film. So there's this compare and contrast, or not big studio film, but like larger budget film, larger project. And it's an early... It's not an indie film, so to speak. Exactly. And it's an early comic book film. Um, So for any people who are big lovers of the MCU or the DCEU or any of the the stuff that say for example we talked about in the indie film tournament um you know stuff like V for Vendetta um which was also on the DC tournament cuz it's the release was uh like indie in the UK but here it was uh on DC I believe so stuff like that you know um but a lot of people who are in love with the Alan Moore version of Swamp Thing are not going to super love Wes Craven's Swamp Thing, perhaps. But whatever. And it yeah. did spawn a sequel, which he wouldn't come back for. I uh, I already said my piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm comfortable crossing this off. but I enjoyed watching it. Yeah. Laughing at how bad it was. It's like a, one of those so bad it's good films. But people are going to crucify but- us. If we put, we put Swamp Thing in over Hills Have Eyes and Serpent in the Rainbow. Well, didn't... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, Freddy versus Jason almost won. <laughs> but that's because Nick and Devin were here. And yeah. They are trolls. So can Swamp Thing go? Um, okay, so so let's 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 just quickly okay, so it's Last House Swamp Thing. No, well Last House is in. Yeah. So it's Hills Have Eyes, Serpent, oh, sorry. Serpent in the Rainbow, and Swamp Thing are still in contention for films that we can throw in to our already existent list, okay. our, our cemented list. Okay. Um, I can't vote for it, to? so if you're comfortable with it going, yeah. let's let's make it go. All right. Out of The Hills Have Eyes and The Serpent and the Rainbow, where are you? 
sir. If you gotta, if tomorrow you've already rented the theater, you got to get your your film. Uh, wow, my brain just farted out. You're a marathon ready to roll tomorrow. What's on What's on the bill out of these two? I like The Serpent and the Rainbow better. Okay. I think it's a better film. However, if we're getting people in the seats and they want to see a retrospective of Wes Craven, I feel Hills Have Eyes might be a little bit more appropriate. Even mm. though it didn't make my final list, I scratched it off my list and Serpent is there. If it's those two, I think that people haven't seen it as much uh, uh, and and sort of are aware of it to a certain degree. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I think that it probably belongs in there. I hate to say that because I really like Serpent and the Rainbow. It's far better. Well, if I may try and sway you, my argument is simply that Fuck what people think. <laughs> I, I, you know, The Hills Have Eyes has always been a film that I've watched once and moved on from, and then I've watched in segments. Serpent in the Rainbow, I've seen, I'd seen twice before we started talking about doing this panel. I watched it again. I didn't watch The Hills Have Eyes. Okay. Um, for me, and people are probably throwing shit at their car radio or pressing pause on their iPhone or whatever they're listening to us on. But out of this list, we've got already some of his absolute mainstays in here. Um, I I like the Dark Horse. I'm, I'm going to go for the Dark Horse here. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's on my list. It was my number three pick. All right. So then let's go with it. Fuck it. So... Our list, our definitive look at Wes Craven. If you're going to start into his film catalog tomorrow, you haven't watched anything, our list is Last House on the Left, A Nightmare on Elm Street. Then we'll do The Serpent and the Rainbow. Then come back with New Nightmare. Watch Scream. And close it out with Red Eye. I like that list. Yeah, it's pretty good. Right on. I had a feeling that Red Eye was going to make it on there. All right, sir. So before we go, I just want to do one more thing, and let's see, out of the three of us, whose list is was the closest to being our definitive oh, list? Oh, bonus points. Tick-tock, 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 tick-tock. So tick, oh, fuck. We're tied. All right, sir. So just a, we, I just did a quick tally there, and... Scott loses. That's <laughs> Well, he left early. <laughs> he left so, early. <laughs> so you snooze, you lose. <laughs> You and I both have five of our six picks on the list. Congratulations. Okay. All right. Any final thoughts on the man, the myth, the legend, Sir Wesley of Craven? If, uh, if you haven't watched any of the films on the final list, do so. If, uh, if you're a little bit more adventurous, do the whole thing. And uh, let uh, let the, the podcast know that you've done it. That would be really cool if somebody out there yeah. actually spent a, a weekend and uh, did this through one or two sittings. Right on. So, yeah, out of his 26, 28, something like that, collective uh, directorial works. 29, I'm sorry. Well, I, I, I think that Wes Craven's work is important to horror. Mm-hmm. Um, 
more than a lot of other great directors in in horror and um he he has more films that will be remembered forever i concur um i think carpenter's up there carpenter and craven and he's oh. done some bad films but they aren't bad like like other people's bad films, you mm-hmm. know? With the exception of the end of his career, which I think he, he started to fall off. And that was probably a, a, more of a, a Hollywood budgetary uh, thing. Yeah, I don't know if I agree, but I respect okay. it. That's a guess. Yeah. Um, you know, when you talk about films like uh, Cursed and uh, the uh, My Soul to Take. <laughs> yeah um which both i only w- watched for the first time uh, yeah. uh sitting i don't mind my this. soul to take oh oh that was a bad one for me <laughs> okay 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 uh, i'll take it, cursed not, over yeah, that yeah i'll, I'll take, take cursed the over that yeah, 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 yeah i'll yeah, take yeah, the yeah, werewolf okay. one respect that. uh and B- vampire in brooklyn uh very adventurous for him to do yeah uh something Sort of within his realm, but really, for the most part, it is not, because it's not scary at all. And it talks to his uh, transcendence from horror, per se, within the within the larger scope of, of Hollywood, because this is he is a director that was sought after by Eddie Murphy to do this film. And we, we joked earlier about him kind of not getting... Superman 4, I mentioned, uh, this is the inverse of that, where you had a huge star saying, this is this is the guy that we need, which is fun. And it gives him a chance to get into comedy a little bit, as much as, you know, uh, possible with this particular piece. And he doesn't, from all accounts, he doesn't hate it. He thinks it's a fun, fun film for what it's worth, you know. It's fun for what it is, but, yeah. but I think for our purposes today, it, it it definitely didn't even come close to getting on anybody's list. Mm-hmm. Although with Scott, I thought there for a second you might <laughs> pick it. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm really glad that we had this body of work to explore. And I'm happy that there's more films that I haven't seen that I'm going to check out. I'm definitely going to uh, check out the Twilight Zone episodes uh, that he directed. Oh, totally. Um, and, uh, I was saying to you, I got to go back and see Chiller cause I haven't seen it in years. Yeah. And Deadly Friend, you recommended that. So I don't know if I'm recommending it just to be clear. <laughs> like it is cheesy as all hell, but it is fun. I am definitely not recommending the Hills Have Eyes part two. No. Yeah. It, no, that's uh, not it. I'm glad you got a paycheck. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I say that all the time about people. You know, if you got to give them shit work and and they get a paycheck, I'm fine with that as long as I still get their good work and and that's the situation. Did here. he do that as like part of like to have to do that film in order to get Nightmare on Elm Street made? No, no, he did that because he was fucking broke. Okay, like they wanted. From what I understand, and again, this is secondhand, so please look into this yourselves if you're listening and you're like, hey, what the fuck? He's nuts. That's a lie. This is a um, maybe we read this on yeah. IMDb a long time ago type. He wanted to transition away from horror and he didn't work, you know, other than TV gigs and this sort of thing. Um, after Last House and, and, and The Hills Have Eyes, he really wasn't getting the kind of work he wanted he did swamp thing but 
that was kind of like you need money. Also, that's right around the time, if I'm not mistaken, or no, that's probably earlier than his. That's probably around the time of his first divorce because he's married three times, if I'm not mistaken. So wow, that's scary. Um, interesting. Yeah. So in any case, our list one more time: Last House on the Left, A Nightmare on Elm Street, A New Nightmare, Scream, Serpent and, Rain- and the Rainbow, and Red Eye. Now let us know this week at Mermel Podcast on Twitter or comment on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash moviesroommylife, or go to our website, moviesroommylife.com. Let us know what would be in your Wes Craven movie marathon. I have a feeling we're going to catch some flack for not putting Hills Have Eyes in there, but you know, whatever. Get your own podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Trevor, do you want to let people know how they can find you on ye old interweb? All right. Well, you can follow me on Twitter at Terra in Toronto. Terra in uh, goes to the Facebook page. And uh, if you're into sort of uh, beats and DJing sort of stuff, uh, uh, check out DJElvis.com and the Influx.net. Influx is a, a DJ duo with my buddy. Uh, uh, we do mixtapes and, and whatnot. Uh, and uh, yeah, but, but check out Terran Toronto. This is a horror podcast, so that's what it's about. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I keep listening to Mermel because I'm sure at some point down the road I'll be back. Oh, totally. I'm going to harass you endlessly. <laughs> um,. And I'm at not Brandon Fleet on Twitter if you want to reach out to me. Uh, I didn't get Scott's Twitter handle before he left, but, you know, uh, we'll get him next time around. He's going to be back in the coming months. Uh, thanks to him for coming out. I didn't say, remember, this is just the beginning of the conversation, but I think you guys kind of know that by now. We're 60-odd episodes in. The whole point of the show is that, you know, we love talking about movies. We love geeking out on movies. And, and the most important part is that we like people commenting that have different opinions. Um so that you know we can get into arguments uh, anonymously on the internet yeah we want to hear from the shocker fans out there are we wrong <laughs> so you can uh, you can reach out to us uh, as I've already said uh, in all of those formats and you can also message uh, us on um, Paul is waving stuff at me Scott's uh, Paul what is Scott's Twitter I've got Scott's uh, Instagram, which okay. is more active on. He's Skippy78, so S-K-I-P-E-7-8. Cool. So uh, harass Scott on Instagram this week. I'm also uh, on Instagram at, at NotBrandonFlee as well. Are you on Instagram, Sir Trevor, since we're doing Instagrams now? Uh, yeah, I'm at Terra in Toronto uh, and also the real DJ Elvis. Sweet. Um, but uh, I'm not super active, so probably uh, check out the, me on the Facebooks. Okay, cool. Um, you can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, um, Google Play Music we're on, Pocket Cast, pretty much everywhere that you can find podcasts, we're there, and if we're not there, let us know and we will get there for you. And uh, thank you so much again, Trevor, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, this was great, and uh, people will definitely make sure that uh, you check out all of Wes Craven's work, even the stuff that we trash, because... Uh It's fun. It's all fun. Yeah. All right. Thanks for hanging out with us. Yeah, this is a 1920s podcast. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Shall this resort to put up your dukes? <laughs>